Hello, world, and welcome to So Curious, presented by the Franklin Institute. In this season, Human 2.0, we will be talking to scientists and non-scientists alike about technology and innovation surrounding the human experience. We're your hosts. I'm Angelica Pasquini. And I'm the Bull Bay, but you could just call me Bay. In today's episode, we'll be talking to the director of the Gene Editing Institute, Dr. Eric Kamach, and chief bioscientist at the Franklin Institute, Dr. Jayatri Das. Today, we're going to be talking about personalized health and genetics. Personalized health and genetics is like what? 23andMe, spitting into tubes, DNA tests. Do, have you done any of this? Yeah. You know what? I did. My roommate was moving to uh, Beijing and she had a 23andMe and was like, listen, I'm not going to be able to do this. Like, I got to go. And I was like, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> so we were just sitting in the apartment and I, I tried it. And then I got information back and it turned out like I was a little more Italian than some of my siblings. Like, it's funny because your genetics aren't the same necessarily as everyone in your family. Each of us has our own breakdown. And do I regret it? Yes, because then later I found out that they, you know, sell the data, (laughs) but we'll get into that later. How about you? (laughs) I haven't done uh, any swabbing or or spitting myself, but my brother took uh, an African ancestry test that traces, I think, the maternal line, like essentially the mothers of the family all the way back to the continent. And so there's some accuracy there, but you brought up such a great point. There's so much diversity within one small group than we ever give credit for. Like, you know, like a small nucleus of family members, the gene genetics and the diversity in there is 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 a lot. And, and we, we think everybody's just like identical and, you know, we're all a little distinct. Yeah. Also, I think that sometimes with personalized health and genetics, you can take a test that will show you what you could be mindful of in the future as far as your health is concerned and how to be um, aware of what you have dispositions towards, you know, in your health. Right, right. And, you know, we'll be going into all of these little tidbits, but things evolve and grow you know, DNA and genes and things like that do the same. And, you know, what's good for you may not be good for someone else. What's good for your mom may not be good for you. You know, these little health uh, tips that she might give you, or at least maybe that, maybe I'm projecting, maybe I'll talk about my mother right now. (laughs) I'll just stop. (laughs) Go on. (laughs) I think that, uh, yeah, I mean, if I knew that, like, I think a lot of people do breast cancer testing and things like that, just to like, um, if they have a certain type of gene, they can know they can get out of get ahead of it um, before it could get potentially, you know, um, dangerous for them. And that kind of thing is actually, I think, a really amazing innovation. I think it's time to transition into our first expert interview with Dr. Eric Kamech. Our next guest is Dr. Eric Kamech. Dr. Kamech has directed the Gene Editing Institute of the Helen F. Graham Cancer Center and Research Institute at Christiana Care since 2014. He is widely recognized for his pioneering work in molecular medicine and gene editing. Throughout his career, Dr. Kamech has led research teams developing genetic therapies for inherited disorders like sickle cell disease. He is the author of over 140 scientific publications and has been awarded multiple research awards from the National Institute of Health and the American Cancer Society. Hello and welcome, Dr. Kamech. Can you start by introducing yourself? 
I'm Eric Kometch. I'm the uh, director of Christiana Care's Gene Editing Institute. And uh, over the past few years, with some recent discoveries, there's a, a movement now to be able to put some genetic medicine and gene therapy into the clinic and actually begin treating patients. And you work with clustered regular. Here we go. <laughs> can you say it five times fast? Can you? I can. I can you actually just? Uh, can you right. talk about sure. CRISPR, sure. the technology? Gene editing is a process that's like genetic spell checking. Our DNA can be thought of as a series of letters, actually over 3 billion of them. They are broken up into words, which can be functionally considered genes. And occasionally one of those words is misspelled. And up to this point, it's been really hard, no matter how hard we've tried, to be able to replace or fix or repair or do a genetic spell check on genes. And real and, quick, when you say misspelled, you mean flawed? In, flawed, in, yeah. And in what way? There are four bases in DNA. And let's say there's supposed to be a T at one position and it's an A. And that just comes from inheriting malfunctioning genes or sequences from your parents. What does that look like on a human? Probably the one genetic disease that people have wanted to approach with this is sickle cell disease. So sickle cell disease is caused by a single base or a single letter that's incorrect in the entire human genome or on all your chromosomes. There hasn't been a very good series of treatments developed for sickle cell, actually for most inherited diseases. CRISPR uh, is now maybe the first genetic tool that might be able to, uh, to be able to address it. So a fair bit of work is going on around that. People in my lab are pretty good at using uh, CRISPR, so we have a very active lab doing that work now. Um, so there's actually some hope for something that has been a dreaded inherited disease for a long time. And so. you can see in the embryo that typo, if we're using the Microsoft <laughs> Word, yeah, we're going to use right. that That's analogy. Right. Exactly 95. Yeah. yeah. Is there. Yeah. <laughs> Shortly after the, a child is born, they, uh, there are a number of genetic tests that are done to predict uh, what sort of in, inappropriate genes or typos or mutations are present. This is also kind of important on a slightly related topic is the importance of having genetic counseling and, and genetic testing being done to parents prior to conception will at least inform folks that there's a chance here that you, you, know, you could pass this gene on to your child. And if they make a decision to go ahead, it's not our place to tell them not to do it, but at least they have the information ahead of and time. And CRISPR and many other uh, practices falls under precision right. medicine? precision medicine, yeah. So, Can you tell um, us about that? Sure. Yeah. Um, so precision medicine uh, <laughs> right now is not so precise. Gotcha. Uh, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> we, we, uh, we, have a, uh, we have a dedication to try to figure out uh, the complexities of diseases. Now, this actually started primarily in cancer therapy. What happened was people thought there's got to be a better way. Mm -hmm. And they started to um, understand more about the proteins and the DNA and the guts of the cell. And they developed these things called targeted therapies. Keytruda, you'll see advertised on television. Um, Optiva, you know, these th these are targeted therapies that have been designed to, to attack a specific genetic trait in a specific patient. And that's why we call it precision medicine. It's going after a certain number of people. The problem is it's a certain number of people. <laughs> so mm. Keytruda is a very, very good drug, but it only uh, is appropriate for 19 to 20% 
of lung cancer patients. I mean, yeah. they can be treated, but it'll do no good. So it's yeah. really, a, and that's a tough conversation. Absolutely. People try everything. Yeah, they do. Okay. Right. Yeah. So what are your conceptions of treating cancer? So it's a very complex issue with very complex treatment. Like, I'm just going to ask, like, if it happened to you or someone in your family, like precision treatment is what you would hope yeah. you could be so, able to do? So the standard of care, chemotherapy, radiation, targeted therapies, immunotherapy, they actually do work. A lot of times the side effects are worse than the disease itself. And so what we try to do is we try to augment those side effects. And, and by doing that, you allow the uh, standard of care therapy to work better. So if I could make you less sick over chemotherapy and keep you healthier in response, you would be able to respond better to that specific therapy. So that's where I think CRISPR and genetic medicine is going. So we're working on uh, eliminating a gene in a tumor by, by directly placing CRISPR into the tumor uh, that causes that tumor to be resistant to chemotherapy. Right. And okay. so that allows now two things. Number one, it allows the tumor to, uh, to remain small or even shrink. And then that allows the surgeon to win and remove it because the best therapy is surgical removal of a tumor. But in some cases, those tumors have gone around blood vessels mm. and you can't do it. So it's a really ugly uh, situation. Yeah. And so that's learned... pretty low hanging yeah. fruit. Just reduce the size so a surgeon can remove it. But that's a legitimate endpoint. You know, Dr. Kamech, we did a Google search of CRISPR before you came in. So Good. we're halfway there. <laughs> yes. Almost where you are. <laughs> but right. some of the autofill response of CRISPR was, is CRISPR ethical? Yeah. Is it legal? Yeah. Is it safe? Yeah. And can you can you go on about that and, and talk about some of those worries, concerns, and because clearly you know those autofills are like what people are no, generating. That's a great common point. Concerns. Yeah, right. it, and and it's an important one. So as scientists, they are much more socially conscious than they used to be. So when you introduce a difficult and challenging technology, people are at different levels of understanding. We do not believe nor will we work on anything related to germline. So we are not going to design a child by treating uh, a fertilized egg or sperm or oocyte. That's known as germline gene editing. To us, that's completely unethical and completely forbidden in the United States. But like anything, it's open for abuse. So we have yeah. to police ourselves. Um, is that the structure at this point? Yes. You are yeah. policing yourself. So there's no regulations on it yet? Well, there's regulations. So the law in the United States, again, the National Institutes of Health will not fund that kind of research okay. or development. But can somebody in a private company, in a biotechnology company, go do it? Wow. Yes. They right. Can. Yeah. Not that the technology exists. It, it completely exists. Um, I, I think the other thing um, about the consequences and the ethics of this, there's there is a fairly high misconception that you can engineer uh, human traits. So you can engineer hair color, eye color, perhaps skin color. Creativity. Creativity, uh, athletic ability, things like that. And the chances of doing that now are beyond possibilities because they, they are controlled by so many different genes that we don't understand. There's a built-in safety net there that even if we were to try to design uh, children in the way that we prefer or induce certain traits, it would it would be almost impossible. Yeah, now, right now. Yeah, right now. I think that what I think that what's happening is people see like as, you Correct. know when yeah. you begin, yeah. where does it no, go, no, and no. that's what we don't know too is like how far things go. That's right. It all starts with 
treating people who are not well and right. finding a solution for them, or maybe someone with a disability like around hearing or sight, and then you create something like Siri for them, and then down the line, it's sold in oh, Mac stores, that, right? Absolutely. So everything no. becomes luxury that was once for a need. Is there technology that can detect cancer in an embryo? Can you look at that that early and, and say, hey, they're likely to have cancer. Let's gene edit. Let's CRISPR. Right. There are things called genetic panels. So unfortunately, there's not one specific test that can predict any form of cancer. We don't know yet. We don't have the algorithms yet to predict anything. <laughs> so mm. we're thinking we're going to get there. There's a tremendous amount of money and effort and research going into develop these software programs. And it's an area called bioinformatics. That being said, there are a few markers for breast cancer. For a certain percent of breast cancer, there's a gene called BRCA1. Oh, yeah. That you is, can test for that, you right? You can test for that, right. And I think there's even a home test for that now, yeah. believe it or not. I have friends that have done that who've lost their moms to breast right. cancer. Right. So unfortunately, there isn't a lot of treatment that's been better, although people, you know, surgeons would say, no, no, we're better. And that's that could be true. But it's about diagnosing it early. And, and mm -hmm. breast cancer, prostate cancer are two types of cancer that can be seen early. So really the two effective things is early diagnosis. And then the other thing, of course, is surgery. Uh, cancer is an energy draining. It, you just Your energy just leaves and your cells can't support you and you pass on yeah. from that. Mm -hmm. very, it's a wasting kind of disease. Yes. It's very hard to watch. Is your biggest dream and goal with CRISPR and many other different treatments to eliminate this completely, or is it just to alleviate the pain and the suffering? What are your biggest dreams around CRISPR? The first level is to make standard of care therapies work better and, and improve the quality of life. What we learn from those patients will eventually draw into preventing it or even reversing it. So we're trying to be as realistic as possible because the folks ahead of us who were pioneers in some ways actually meant a little bit too quickly. So. Um, I think that's the right way to approach this right now. I Same with genetic that. diseases. That's yeah. so tough because, yeah. like, you know, you want to help. Oh, yeah. You want to you yeah. do some good and change the world and, and, and nuance. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm yeah. Add gray yeah. to, to everything you're doing, and I think you'll always find a better outcome. You know, just yeah. trying to do things absolutely just kind of yeah. backfires. Yeah. I, I've always wanted to ask someone like you this kind of question, like, what is your day-to-day -day like with this? Do you have like a lot of big picture questions all the time or do you sort of find a way to compartmentalize doing this kind of work? Yeah, uh, I think both. Mm -hmm. uh, we always have our eye on the goal line. Uh, we definitely feel that, uh, you know, we can contribute something, but at the same time, we're sort of humbled by the challenge. Uh, a lot of really smart people have come before us where, mm -hmm. you know, there were very few original ideas actually in science, you know, sort of putting them in different compartments for me is really sort of thinking about them in a different angle, different dimension. And uh, this doesn't stop at five o'clock. You know, there are people in the Institute and lab at all hours of night over Thanksgiving. Half of the lab was in there in the afternoon on Thanksgiving Day and the other half on Friday morning. Because if you're drawn to this kind of work, you can't stop thinking. So, you know, one of the questions that we are constantly asking through this series is not only what the science looked like, but what do scientists look like? One of the minorities in science, beyond the obvious ones, and we need to do a lot better at that, are actually women. Interestingly, uh, in the field of gene editing and CRISPR biology, a uh, majority of the young scientists are women. That may be linked to the fact that the 2020 Nobel Prize in Chemistry was awarded to Jennifer Doudna and Emmanuel Charpentier, two women, and for the first time, 
they shared the prize without a man standing on the podium with them. Wow. And it's, I think we all said it's about time. Um, yeah. One of the things we also do is we're really trying to get out into the communities to share gene editing as a breakthrough technology so that we have lots of color in the field. We're tending to bring breakthrough technologies to underserved communities by back teaching them. Oh, this really works great. Let's CRISPR in gene editing is a current technology. So let's work our way in there. And what we see when we do that with high school students and summer camps, they love to see women and women of color. And those are the people they want to talk to, not me. And so, <laughs> and that's very important. So the structure and the population of this field may be help to change the rest of science in general. That's so dope. Great. Thank there. you so Love much that. for opening that up and yeah. giving us all this fresh information because at the beginning we were like, what? Is... We had no idea what to expect. <laughs> right, what? Right. Yeah, you... clustered mm -hmm. regu regularly? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I'm just yeah. <laughs> totally. So we so learned much. so much. It's been great. Thank yeah. you. Really all right. Take care. <laughs> all right. So we just got a lot of information and things presented to us. Time to reflect. Well, that was really interesting. I have to admit, I I came in a little a little nervous about what we were going to be talking about, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I and I. So where are you now? <laughs> I'm cautiously relieved. You? <laughs> no, I really um, appreciated the presence of ethics, right? And 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 trying to be careful, um, and also acknowledging like there is some scary parts of it, but most people are focused on you know, the early life cycle, the embryos, and yeah. also, you know, at the end. I absolutely loved that. This is another cool example of how a technology that's developed to help people who are not well later becomes a luxury potentially down the line right. in genetic modification. So we're starting off first with trying to heal um, or detect uh, and and um, manipulate early onset signs of something, protect maybe even just in the embryo and adjusting the cells early on to prevent disease later on, right? So that that's something that we're using for people who are unwell. That's what the doctor said. And then later <laughs> it can become something that's a luxury tool. Right. You know, and that's what big, people's biggest fears are. And I did love that he talked about regulation, you know, around designer babies and making a baby with a certain color eyes and certain, you know, a, a ability in, to play tennis or something like that. Like he really knew and he had very strong thoughts about that not being where this goes. Right, right. And, you know, I came into the conversation a little pessimistic yeah. about, you know, cancer and other things that ails the, the human species really and, and, and really kind of keeps people in an unwell space, like mm -hmm. just sick sometimes. Yeah. But some of the details that he gave, maybe, like, you know, I left me optimistic. I'm like, maybe we can start to move towards an actual cure for cancer and, mm -hmm. and an actual, you know, answer to these really, really hard hitting uh, diseases. Yeah. It sounds like molecular medicine and gene editing are much more multifaceted than we could have ever imagined. Yeah. Let's switch gears a moment, okay? It's time for our body of knowledge segment. In this segment, we're going to discuss the episode's topic of personalized health and genetics in an open forum discussion. We're going to be throwing ideas, asking questions with the chief bioscientist of the Franklin Institute, Dr. Jayatri Das. Welcome, Jayatri. Okay, so we are back with Jayatri, and we are talking about personalized health and genetics. 
What does that make you think of? I'm a little, I'm going to ask you guys a question first is like when you think about your DNA and who you are, what connection do you see between them? I think of a long line of creative people and I'm super creative and I can't turn it off. And sometimes I love that about myself. And <laughs> other times I'm like, oh my God, stop making everything into a song. <laughs> but that, that's kind of my connection. I see a lot of creativity. I see a lot of uh, pride. I, I love the fact that you thought really about, you know, thinking back about your, your family. It's it's not just about, you know, physical traits, right? What you oh, brought yeah. up a is long, more about... Long noses. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of, my family has big noses. <laughs> big noses. What about you, Angelica? I did think physical, okay? So I'm Italian, so I'm like hairy. Every, I, I look in all the photos and I'm like, you guys were all hairy. Like, it's just the way it is, right? And so then all we're all hairy and... <laughs> My, and, and like, I think of heart stuff has come up in my family or like, you know, my grandma did have brain cancer. So I do think of those things. But generally, I love to like look at my family and I can just see how we all look similar. And I think part of why people love having kids, too, is to see this version of themselves, of their personal health and their genetics like growing. I think that that's like a fascinating part of human life and family. Well, I think the two elements that you each brought to that conversation kind of illustrate the power of like why we want to take a more personalized approach to, to health and medicine. Because, you know, Angelica, you're absolutely right that, you know, there's so much of the DNA that shapes sort of our physical appearance and our health, but not entirely. <laughs> it's like, you know, if ever if, if anybody ever told you that, like, whether or not you can roll your tongue is based on your genetics, it, that's a myth. <laughs> wow. You guys ever hear about any of those? <laughs> I haven't thought about it in that way, but yeah, right? Like, um, you know, speech and capabilities, you know, if your dad can play tennis, can you? Right. So a lot of those traits are much, much more complex than being able to boil it down to like, oh, you have a gene that, you know, tells you whether you can roll your tongue or you have a gene that makes you creative, right? Like that's not, that's not real, right? There, there are some diseases that are caused by, you know, single changes in DNA. Turns out earwax is also affected by a single gene. It's one of my favorite examples. <laughs> whether your earwax is wet or dry. Whoa. Wow. It just comes down to one gene. Yeah, yeah. Yes. What are yours? Is it wet? Oh, that was a weird question. Sorry. (laughs) That's a little personal. (laughs) Your earwax. Sorry. I think it's, I think it's, you know what? It's what I've seen. So it's part of my personalized health and genetics and me and and my friends and family. But uh, yeah, no, that's fascinating. Wow. Right. And so where where that you know level of genetics comes into play is thinking about, you know, whether like medicine or something, you know, or some sort of behavioral treatment, whether your genetic background will respond to that. Right. Because all of our genes are different. And sometimes that background makes a difference in whether or not your body will respond to one medicine or another medicine. You mentioned some things that were not necessarily true, like rolling the R's and being creative and so on and so forth. Are there some things that are actually understood to be passed along uh, dynamic in genes? Or so know? aside from a few like diseases and then the earwax trait, most things are not only influenced by a whole number of different genes, but also very much from your environment, right? And this kind of gets bay at what you brought up. This, you know, being in a creative environment from a creative family, you see that as helping you become a creative person as well. And so, you know, where we're looking now in terms of what's possible with with, you know, health and genetics and things like that is thinking about what we know about how our genes and the environment actually interact with each other. 
genes don't necessarily make up who you are, but they can be very important in thinking about how to design the most effective treatment for you. Right. right. And so, you know, my aunt went through this. Um, she passed away of lung cancer several years ago. But part of her treatment was actually looking at the genetics of her cancer and thinking about, OK, which drugs are best suited for her specific cancer. And that's a power of medicine that we didn't have, you know, just a few decades ago. Yes. It feels like luxury. It does. It feels like luxury medicine where it's like we're going to we're going to look at you. And we're going to help you not just, we're not going to just give you what works on most people. We're going to look at what's going on with you. And that's so important as we realize the genetic diversity among people. Yes. Right. That we can't just take these shortcuts like, you know, a social construct of race, for instance, Mm -hmm. um, to make those assumptions about what's going to work. That's so true. Okay, we're going to move into our body of knowledge autofill segment, where we turn to the internet to see what people are asking about personalized health and genetics. These are some of the most popular questions people are asking the internet. So we're going to get into some of the questions that people have asked. Is personalized healthcare legit? Yeah, definitely. For sure. I love that. Um, I think, you know, where where that term and I think there's a reason that we're kind of moving from personalized medicine to precision medicine is to be a little bit more intentional about what personalized means, because I feel like, you know, it's not like somebody just like monograms your medicine or something (laughs) like that. Right. (laughs) That would be cool. I would buy that. (laughs) Um, Is precision medicine the future of healthcare? There are some complexities around that question that we don't know the answer to yet, because some of it is very much in terms of like the theory versus the practicality of it. Right. If we could design everything to everybody's you know, particular genome, how much of a difference would that make? I don't know that we know that yet. And there's also a question of how expensive is it? Right. The realities yes. of healthcare in the world that we live in. Definitely. Seems expensive. I hope everyone gets access to it eventually. Oh, this is a cool question. And I'm glad people are asking this. Is my DNA unique? Well, are you an identical twin? <laughs> I'm not. Are you guys? No, no, I am not. I don't know why I said it like that. <laughs> you have to think about it for a minute. No, I was like, uh, no, no, I so am not an identical twin. Identical twins have exact same DNA. So their DNA sequence is exactly the same when they're born. But what's cool is that even identical twins, they're not completely identical, right? Is And part of what we've learned over the last you know few decades is how there are ways that our genes are turned on and off in different ways that don't just depend on the actual sequence of letters. You know, one of the simplest examples of even though identical twins have the same you know, genome, their fingerprints are different. Right. Right. Wow. Because there are so many other factors, environmental factors that affect how those genes are turned off and on. Even different parts of the body can have genes turned off and on in different ways at different times. For most of us, our DNA is unique. But even among identical twins, there are differences um, in terms of how you go from your DNA to who you are. And I have a bit of a silly question, I guess. Does your DNA and genetics change as you grow in age and, and develop different experiences and travel and find a favorite color and eat some food and make a song <laughs> and all these different things with your experiences? Does your do So you for change? a lot of those experiences, that's not going to affect your DNA, okay. right? It changing your brain. Absolutely. <laughs> 
Okay. Um, but your body does accumulate mutations in your DNA just over time. Like every time your body makes a new copy of DNA, there's a possibility to, of making a mistake. Okay. <laughs> and sometimes wow. there are environmental factors like the sun, <laughs> like UV rays can create mutations in your DNA that can lead to things like skin cancer. Okay. How often does your body make a new copy of DNA? Oh man, all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. That's yeah. amazing. So it's constantly making new DNA. Yes. Oh, yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. You, we think of ourselves as kind of like... Stagnant. Yeah. You know, <laughs> done. It's over. <laughs> no, you're making new... You're replacing your body cells all the time and getting rid of all the dead ones. Wow. Fascinating. Um, I love that. Oh, I love this question. Okay. Are my genetics good? Oof. There's another value question. <laughs> They aight. <laughs> if you have to ask, babe, they might not be. No, I'm just kidding. Sigh. <laughs> if you're looking at the mirror and you're going, oh, is this good? <laughs> I think we all feel that way. Uh, Man, there's some there's some social pressure there. <laughs> there right. is, for sure. Um, and the last one is, is my DNA in a database? So that's a really good question because a lot of people choose to put their DNA in a database. If you've gotten your, you know, 23andMe or Ancestry.com, like, yeah, your DNA is in their database. Loki, I feel like Angelica put that question in there. <laughs> <laughs> that's right up my alley. Right. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, I will say I didn't know when I did 23andMe, I didn't read the paperwork and know that it's now in a database. It's one of those things I have fine to, um, I will accept. Yes, it is fine print. Um, life ultimately goes on. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, this is Angelica Pasquini from So Curious. You know what? We love making this show, okay? But sometimes there are great bits. We just can't fit them into the episode. So we put together a bunch of great bonus content. And you can find that available at Beyond. FI.edu. Thanks so much, Jayatri, and thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of So Curious. This podcast is part of the Franklin Institute. The Franklin Institute is a science museum located in Philadelphia. The Franklin Institute's mission is to inspire a passion for learning about science and technology. For more information on everything about the Franklin Institute, visit FI.edu. This podcast is produced by Radio Kismet. Radio Kismet is Philadelphia's premier podcast network for businesses looking to develop their own branded podcast content. Check them out at radiokismet.com. There's a lot of people who make this podcast happen. Thanks to the producers, Joy Montefusco and Jayatri Das. Our managing producer, Emily Cherish. Our operations head, Christopher Plant. Our associate producer, Liliana Green. Our audio team, Christian Cedarlund. Goldie Bingley, Lauren DeLuca, and Brad Florent. Our development producer, Opeola Bucola, our science writer, Kira Vayette, and our graphic designer, Emma Sager. See you next week.